Today's scripture comes from Acts 2, verses 1 through 8, and verses 37 through 42. When the day of the Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were, now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is the word of God for the people of God. So I'm, I'm gone for one week, and you get Godiva chocolates. I see how you roll. Uh, that's all right. It's all right. It's all right. I stole one later on. We had some extras, so uh, they were tasty. Hey, we are, we are concluding a sermon series today called Building Faithful Families. And part of the thing that we have been talking about, we've been talking uh, in the first week about our children, and we read from Joshua chapter 1, and we asked the question, how can we... How can we help raise children who are strong and courageous in this world? How can we help raise them and how can we help our young people to be strong and courageous? Uh, the next week, we had a chance to celebrate the women in our lives. God bless the women in our lives. And, and today, we are going to look at one of the stories of a, of a faithful man on a fateful day. A man by the name of Peter on a day named Pentecost. And we're gonna, we're gonna try and figure out today, what does it look like to be a godly man? We've talked about children, we've talked about women today, what does it look like to be a godly man? And before we get into any of that, I just wanna tell you that the last two weeks I have felt kinda more manly, and here's why. Costco! I got my own Costco membership two weeks ago. Pretty excited about this. Now, here's the thing. I thought I knew about Costco because I'd been to a Sam's Club, right? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Here's the analogy I would make. I would, I would say that Costco is 
to Sam's Club as Target is to Walmart. That's what I would say. Right? It's just another little notch up. And I'm not trying to judge anybody or mean anybody. I'm just saying it's another little notch. Uh, I went there on Friday, had lunch with three members of my family. It cost us $8. It was amazing. <laughs> it was wonderful. Then you go back in the back and they start handing you food that you can eat. This guy, I walked up to this guy. I said, what are you making there? He said, pierogies. I said, what's a pierogi? He said, I don't really know, but that one has bacon in it. I said, I'll take that one. Right? <laughs> It was fantastic. But it's not just food that you can get at Costco. You can get every, you can get new tires at Costco. Did you know that? You, you can rent a car through Costco. You can take a vacation through Costco. You can get all the plants that you need through Costco. You, you can do all kinds of stuff through Costco. And, and here's the thing. I'm not trying to make an advertisement for Costco. I'm just saying that there's a part of me as I'm walking through Costco as a man, I'm saying to myself, this is where I belong. Right? <laughs> It's got everything that I need, all the things I need to provide for my family. I can find it in this place. I feel it calling to me. But the truth is, of course, we all know, the truth is that it's not a Costco membership that would make us godly men, right? So so what is it? And that's a, that's a tough conversation. What is it that makes a godly man a godly man? And, and it would be a longer conversation than we have time for today. But if we study the story of Pentecost together, one of the things that we find... So we find some examples from godly men on the first day, the birthday of the church of Jesus Christ. The most important human being on Pentecost is a guy by the name of Peter. And here's the thing that's interesting to me about Peter. Peter, by every imaginable scale, Peter, up until the day of Pentecost, was a failure as a disciple. Would you agree with that? Think, think about it. You remember the Mount of Transfiguration? You remember that story? Peter, James, and John go up onto a mountaintop with Jesus. It's right before Jesus makes his final push to Jerusalem for his, his experience of the cross. They go up on this mountain and, and then Jesus is transfigured among them along with Moses and Elijah. And in the midst of this holy, holy moment, Peter pipes up and says, this was so cool. We should build some tents up here, man. What? In fact, that's what the Bible says. Essentially, it looks at Peter and says, what? The Bible actually says Peter said this because he didn't know what else to say. Recorded for perpetuity in all of Holy Scripture, we find that Peter opened his big fat mouth when he should not have. But that's not all. You, you remember on the night Jesus was betrayed, right? They come to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Peter, to arrest Jesus. And Peter steps up. And after having followed the Prince of Peace for three years, Peter takes out his sword and lops off this dude's ear. His name was Malchus. He was a servant of the high priest. And Jesus looks at Peter and rebukes him and says, Peter, don't you know? Those who live by the sword die by the sword. And then Jesus picks up the dude's ear and dusts it off and Pops it back on his head. Now, just a a quick time out. I've always thought this. If you were one of the cats who went to arrest Jesus that night, right? And you saw him pick up somebody's ear, blow it off, and pop it right back on their head. Don't you think you might reevaluate whether or not you should arrest this guy? (laughs) Hmm, Maybe there's something about this cat, right? Um, Peter... 
Peter, of course, later that night, goes in the opposite direction. Peter finds himself with Jesus as in his hour of greatest need. Peter says, I don't even know that guy. When rumors of the resurrection began to circulate, Peter didn't believe them. Peter talked when he should have been quiet. Peter struggled with faith and fidelity. Peter was not a great disciple until the day he was. We could say that Peter was a failure of a disciple who one day became a success, or we could say that Peter's failures actually led him to becoming a success. I said one of the first things that we could learn from the story of Pentecost is this. Godly men embrace failure in route to success. Godly men embrace failure in route to success. You know, it was said of Napoleon Bonaparte that having Napoleon Bonaparte on the battlefield was like having 50,000 additional troops. That's what a great military mind he was. But did you know he graduated in the bottom third of his military class? He graduated 42nd out of 58 students from military school. There's a guy who holds uh, the record for most consecutive strikeouts in a World Series at five. He struck out five times in a row. In fact, the same guy holds the records for more strikeouts than anybody in the history of Major League Baseball. Anybody know his name? Babe Ruth. One of the greatest hitters in history struck out more than anybody else. Failure helps lead us to success. I want to read you a couple of quotes about this process. The great inventor Charles Kettering suggested we have to learn to fail intelligently. He said, once we have failed, we must analyze the problem to find out why. Because each failure is one more step leading us to the cathedral of success. One of the reasons why mature people stop growing, says John Gardner, is that they become less and less willing to risk failure. I want to be successful as a father and as a husband and as a pastor and as a friend. I want to be successful. And the way that I be successful isn't by playing it safe. What we learn from God is that the way we are successful at loving in our relationships is by hanging it all on the line. And that might mean that sometimes we fail. But then we learn from those failures and move on. To God's intended future, godly men embrace failure en route to success. There's a second piece I want us to learn from the Pentecost story. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2 with me because there are a couple passages I want to look at uh, with you. The first is early on in Acts chapter 2, verses 5 and following. We'll give you a second to turn there with me. Acts chapter 2, verse 5 and following. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem and at the sound, the sound of a mighty rushing wind. The crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans and then How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya beyond the Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretans, Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. 
all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What does it mean? What does all of it mean? The fact that they could understand one another. Here's what it means. The second lesson we take from Pentecost is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, godly men build community. Godly men build community. That's what happens at Pentecost. The men of God were including others into the kingdom. By the power of the Holy Spirit, they were inviting others to join in something that had historically been exclusive. The walls were knocked down on Pentecost. Everyone was welcomed at the table. One of the greatest myths, I think, that's told to little boys in our society, I heard it as I was growing up, and I imagine that most of the men in here did, is we've told our little boys that they need to grow up to be good and independent. That's bad advice. I don't want my children to be independent. God didn't create us to be independent, church. God created us for community. God created us to be in connection with one another. Of course, I I want my children to be responsible. There's no doubt about that. I want them to grow up and one day to move out of my house. Not, Not now. They're six and four. But when they're 13, time for them to go. We have this archetype of the manly man in our society. Never supposed to show vulnerability. Never supposed to let our dependence come to the surface. What a tragic thing. Godly men are not islands. I just want to talk to the older men in the room for a second. I'm sorry that you were brought up your whole life being told that you should be independent, that you should be islands, that you should never be vulnerable. I'm sorry that somebody told you that, but here's what I need you to know. Our relationships get better and deeper and stronger when we let people inside. When we become vulnerable with the people around us. And it's not, it's not a show of weakness. It's great strength to let people grow close to us. Godly men build community. Something else I want to note with you about this. I want to just describe something about what that godly community looks like. Towards the end of Acts chapter 2, we read this. This is the kind of community that these godly men build on Pentecost. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together. They shared everything in common. They would sell their possessions and good and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at their homes. They ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. What we see on the first day of the church is the purest picture of what God calls us to be a community, a true community that bears one another's burdens and shares in one another's joy. Godly men build communities like that, church. This brings us to a third part of the conversation. Peter stands up and he preaches in such a way that 3,000 people come to the kingdom that day At some point, the people asked Peter, they said, what are we supposed to do? You've preached this wonderful sermon. We're convicted. What are we supposed to do? And Peter answers them, repent, be baptized for for the remission of sins. 
and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about a third lesson we learned today. The third lesson that we learned, godly men create space for spiritual conversations. Godly men create space for spiritual conversations. My wife Andy and I read to our children every night. Uh, and most often we read Bible stories to our kids. Uh, to the point that very early on our kids had some of these Bible stories memorized. I want to, I want to show you a video clip. It just is a minute long of, of Rob and, and Brock when he was two. Um, do, doing a poem together we learned about David and Goliath. Now it will require some interpretation afterwards. I will be happy to provide that, but for now, I want to invite you to turn your attention to the screen, please. Today we're going to be talking about the story of David and Goliath, which comes to us from 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's a long chapter. So, Brock and I decided that instead of reading that whole chapter, we would do a poem for you about David and Goliath. Are you ready? Okay. David, a shepherd... Met for a battle. David had a sling. The giant had weapons. David had a One smooth stone. He thought that he'd win. My brothers and sisters, this is a dramatic reinterpretation of the word of God for the people of God. So, for those of you who, who could not quite understand, and uh, here's here's what happened. Daddy said, David a shepherd. Brock said, Goliath a giant. Met for a battle. The giant defiant. David had a sling. Goliath a sword. The giant had weapons. David had the yord. One smooth stone hit Goliath's head. He thought that he'd win, but he falled down instead. Uh, Brock, Brock and I started reading that book when he was itty bitty. I mean, he couldn't even make words, but one of the things we discovered soon was that that little boy had, had memorized the whole poem. He didn't really need me to help him. I just was up there to hold the microphone, basically. He he took it. He understood it. My, my point is that when we engage, when we create space for spiritual conversation with, with our young people, it, it impacts them. We, we, as I mentioned, we read Bible stories to our kids all the time. And, and when, especially when they're going to bed, they like to ask questions. Now, I'm not stupid. I know that one of the reasons they ask questions is because they're trying to run out the clock to get some extra time before bed. I know that, right? But here's what else I know. I know we've had the opportunity together to talk about resurrection with my six-year-old and four-year-old. People who have passed away. We've talked about Jesus and David and Samson and Jonah and Ruth and Esther. Godly men create space for spiritual conversations. My friends, if our first ministry field is to our families, 
And the most important task we have to our families is to convey the faith to them. We cannot overstate the importance of creating space for spiritual conversations in our families. We must. But it's not just in our families. We're also called to have spiritual conversations in the wider world, at work, at school, yes, in our homes, on soccer fields, in coffee shops. And I know, I know it's not easy to have spiritual conversations. You know who else knew it wasn't easy to have spiritual conversations? Peter. Peter had a spiritual conversation on the day of Pentecost, 53 days after Those same people had put his best friend to death. You think Peter knew it wasn't dangerous to have spiritual conversations, but Peter did it. He stepped out in faith. He did it, and it bore much fruit. Godly men, godly men have spiritual conversations. We create space for it in our lives. This brings us uh, to a a fourth thing. I want to read you. A passage, Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Peter preached to them. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the other disciples, Brothers, what must he do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for this promise is for you, for your children, And for all who are a far way off. What does that mean? Peter was concerned that day with God's promise, not simply to the people who were in front of him on Pentecost and not simply to their children, but to all those who would one day follow him. There's a word. There's a word we use for being concerned with the people who would follow us. It's called leadership. Godly men lead. Now, leadership is hard. Even in the best of circumstances, true leadership is hard. Whether it's in our families or at our, our, our jobs or in our, our society at large, true leadership, excellent leadership is hard. And so Ebenezer Church wants to give you tools to help all of us take steps towards our leadership potential because all of us are called to be servant leaders. How do we do that? Well, there is a tool we've figured out here. For a number of years, uh, Ebenezer Church has taken a delegation of folks up to Manassas every August to be part of something called the Global Leadership Summit. This year, the Global Leadership Summit is going to take place August 9th and 10th, but we can't go to Manassas because we're going to host it right here at Ebenezer United Methodist Church. For the first time right here in Stafford, we're bringing the Global Leadership Summit here. What is Global Leadership? Global Leadership Summit is a two-day leadership event. It involves 14 world-class teachers from across all kinds of different uh, um, disciplines who come together for two full days and they talk about leadership. It's got a remarkable faculty this year. I want to show you the faculty, or a few of them. There are 14 world-class leaders. Angela Aarons is the executive vice president at Apple. Last year, she made more money than the CEO of Apple because she did a better job than he did. She's going to be there to talk to us. John Maxwell is one of the foremost authors and thinkers around Christian leadership in the world. Craig Groeschel, one of the most respected pastors in America. Some of you will know Bishop T.D. Jakes, who will also be there. These are four of the 14 uh, world-class faculty that are going to, to be there. 
I want to talk to you for a moment about why we would do this because we have a vision at Ebenezer. We have a vision for why we're doing the Global Leadership Summit. And I want to show you what our vision is here at Ebenezer. Vision is always about what do we see, right? We see leaders getting better in our church, in our community, and across the 1,200 other Methodist churches in the state of Virginia. We see leaders getting better in our church, in our community, and among the 1,200 other sister and brother churches here in Virginia. I want to walk through that with you and unpack that a little bit. What do we mean about leaders getting better in our church? Well, first thing you need to know, Global Leadership Summit costs 89 bucks to come to. Uh, it's two days of great training for 89 bucks. That includes lunch both days. I don't think that's a, a huge cost. But if, if you would like a scholarship, we've got some $50 scholarships available. Take it down to 39 so when you register and you can register today in the gym, you can choose either to pay full price and give that scholarship to somebody else, or if you need the scholarship, just click on the form and we'll instantly approve you for the scholarship. It's no problem. I want to challenge you to get involved in GLS today, and, and here's why. Right now, Ebenezer Church is engaged in a core value mission vision process. It doesn't sound terribly exciting, but when it's finished, it will be really cool for us. Here's one of the things that's been in the back of my brain and in my heart, and I don't know if it's possible or not, but here, here it is, right? Can you see Ebenezer Church standing up and saying, we won't allow anybody to be hungry in Stafford County? Can you imagine this church? We're the second largest church in the state of Virginia in the Methodist Church. Can you imagine a a giant church like Ebenezer standing up and saying, we will not allow it. We won't allow people to be hungry in our backyard. We may not be able to fix problems all over the world, but we can make sure our children and the people in this community have enough to eat. My brothers and sisters, my hope is that our vision makes us a little bit nervous. And if you're like me, you're saying, okay, how do we make that happen? I don't know. We have to get better as leaders. You have to get better and I have to get better because there's real powerful mission that needs to happen. And for that reason, I challenge all of us to come together for the Global Leadership Summit this year, August 9th and 10th. But it's not just so that our church and leaders in our church can get better. It's also so leaders in our community can get better. We've had conversations about inviting the... uh, I've had conversations with members of the Board of Supervisors and members of the school board. I've had a conversation with our sheriff here in Stafford County What happens when our our leaders on the board of supervisors take their next step in leadership? What happens when it happens on the school board? What happens when our sheriff takes his next step and the deputies take their next step becoming better leaders? What happens is when leaders get better, everybody wins. Ebenezer Church, by hosting this event, isn't just trying to make the individuals better. We're asking people to become better leaders so that it raises the bar in our community. But that's not all. We have 1,200 sister churches across the Virginia Conference. We want to help them get better. As as the second largest United Methodist Church in Virginia, it's one of our obligations to help lead our brothers and sisters into greater fruitfulness and faithfulness. And so we're inviting them to come and be part of GLS right here in Stafford. Global Leadership Summit is about leverage. It helps us move our church. It helps us move our community. It helps us move God's kingdom forward. And I I challenge you, no matter what your servant leadership looks like in this church or in your job, 
to make plans today to be part of the global leadership movement. We learn a lot from the faithfulness of Peter on Pentecost. We learn that our failures prepare us for success, and they do. We learn that we are called to build community, not to live in isolation. We learn that we are supposed to create space for spiritual conversations. And finally, we learn that the promise of God is not only for us and our children, but for all those who follow us. We learn that godly people lead. One final note to conclude this series. My brothers and sisters, I know that building faithful families is not always easy. In fact, we live in a world where it's increasingly hard to build faithful families. It seems like there was a time in my youth where the default was that everybody in the family would be Christian and they would go to church together. It's simply what we did. That's not the case anymore. So I want to conclude this series about building faithful families with this final piece of hope. We do not have to build. We should not try to build. And we cannot successfully build faithful families alone. That's why God has given us the gift of each other. To lean on, to rely on, to be in community and family with. So that together we can raise our children and grandchildren. Together we can be women of distinction and purpose. And men who change the world. So God bless you. As we strive together as one church. To build faithful families.